Father, we love you so much. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we ask that, that you would guide us during this sermon to open our, soften our hearts and open our minds to understand your word and to not only understand it, but to apply it to our lives and live it out. Father, we, we thank you for your son and we thank you for giving us a copy of your word for us to study. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. All right. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Who knows what Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So he was only asked for the first, but he gave the first and the second, because as I've said many times before, you can't do the first if you don't do the second. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you're not also loving your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, when asked the question, because, uh, you know, they had over 600 commands that they had written down and figured out uh, that Moses had given through the law. So they had hundreds and hundreds of commands. The scribe came up to Jesus and asked, which command is the most important? You know, Jesus could have easily said, they're all equally important. It wouldn't have been wrong for Jesus to do so. He could have said, they're all important. Every one of them is important. So learn them all, memorize them all, and do them all and be faithful. But he didn't answer that way. He actually summed it up with one command. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Matthew, he finished this in the Gospel of Matthew by saying this in Matthew twenty-two forty: All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So he said that, yes, all the laws are important. All of them are all equally important because God gave them to us. But if you wanted to just sum them up, if you did these two things, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you loved your neighbor as yourself, you would, by nature, fulfill all the other commandments that God has given you. So Jesus said that this was the most important command that God has given us. So how do you think we should respond? Shouldn't we do everything we can to remember it? If this is the most important thing for us to do, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, shouldn't we at least go so far as to make sure that we actually take time to memorize and remember what that greatest thing is for us to do? Shouldn't we also do everything that we can to make sure that it always gets passed on from generation to generation. Because if it's the most important thing for us to do now or then, wouldn't it be also just as likely that it's going to be the most important thing for all people to do throughout all time, from generation to generation? Jesus didn't make up that command, by the way. He didn't make up this is the most important command. He was asked what command that God had already given, of all the commands that God had already given, which one was most important to obey. So Jesus commoted, I mean, qu 
quoted a command that had already been given to us by God. And this, this, let's go back and look to where it was given. It was given in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. In other words, memorize them, hold them close, do, faithfully do them. And then he goes on to say, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. You see, when God gave them this command, he also immediately said, don't just love me with all your heart and soul and strength. But he also said, teach the next generation to love me with all of their heart and soul and strength as well. Because I didn't just create you, the Israelites. I didn't just create you to have a relationship with just you forever. I made them because I want to spend eternity with them as their father forever as well. All people. I want to spend the rest of my life with them just as much as I want to spend the rest of my life with you. God says to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself, but also to teach these things to the next generation because it's just as true for them as it's true for you. God gave this command to the Israelites through Moses. Then after Moses, you have the conquest. And then after the conquest, you have the period of the judges. And then after the period of the judges, you have kings. You have the first king, Saul. And then after Saul, you had David. And after David, you had Solomon. Then you had the divided kingdom leading all the way up to, to Jesus. But when you get to that period of that divided kingdom, the northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah. Well, we know that both kingdoms were exiled. They were exiled by different times. The northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, was exiled in, uh, but first. And so after Israel had been exiled first, then Judah was still, still there. They had not been exiled yet. And during that time period, you get to a king named Josiah. Now, let's look at Josiah real quick. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. Now we're going to, we, we see, he starts off good, right? Of course, he becomes king at eight. Um, probably not the best of situations, but, but he becomes king at eight. Time goes on as king, time goes on. And it says, in the 18th year of his reign, so 18 plus 8, that's what, 26? So by the time he comes around to be 26, this is what we see happens. In order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, along with Maasiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian Joah, son of Joahaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. 
So once he turns 26, he decides we're going to repair God's temple. So they went to the high priest, Hilkiah, and gave him the silver brought into God's temple. The Levites and the doorkeepers had collected it from Manasseh, Ephraim, and from the entire remnant of Israel, and from all Judah, Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They gave it to those doing the work, those who oversaw the Lord's temple. They gave it to the workmen who were working in the Lord's temple to repair and restore the temple. They gave it to the carpenters and builders and also used it to buy quarried stone and timbers for joining and making beams for the buildings that Judah's kings had destroyed. The men were doing the work with integrity. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, Levites from the Merarites and Zechariah and Meshullam from the Kohathites and supervisors. The Levites were all skilled with musical instruments. They were also over the porters and were supervising all those doing the work task by task. Some of the Levites were secretaries, officers, and gatekeepers. All that to say, they collected money, they were distributing money, they were doing a lot of work, and everybody was doing a fantastic job. When they brought out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. Let me, let me read that again. When they brought out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest, Hilkiah, found, found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. The actual law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of the law written by Moses himself in Josiah's reign, when he turned 26, they found it. In other words, they had lost it. Consequently, Hilkiah told the court secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple, and he gave the book to Shaphan. So what do you think Shaphan does? Hilkiah says, I have found the book of the law of the Lord. That's what he does. Shaphan took the book to the king, and he also reported, Your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. They have emptied out the silver that was found in the Lord's temple and have given it to the overseers and to those doing the work. In other words, he gives them a report on the work that's being done. No mention of the book right off the bat because to him it's just a book. He goes on. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, the priest Hilkiah gave me a book. He has no idea the significance of this. He has no idea. They have lost the book of the law and they're so far from knowing what it is that when given to the court secretary, the court secretary doesn't even realize. He thinks it's just some kind of, some kind of old book. And Shaphan read it, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, the court secretary Shaphan, and the king's servant Asiah. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our ancestors have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything written in this book. Just imagine living in that day of an age. You have lost God's word. Nobody even is familiar with with that they knew that Moses had written God's word and they still had it. And they had just, it was in the rubble in the temple that had been 
destroyed by all these bad kings that they had. And and it's it's one bad king after another bad king after another bad king. And now we see why. Now we see why everybody was doing all these things that they weren't supposed to do. Because they weren't reading the word. They weren't teaching the word. They weren't passing it on to the next generation. Somewhere along the line, the passing on of the faith and the, the most important command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself, those teachings, they were not being passed on. And the truth is it only takes one generation to not pass it on for it all to just be forgotten. <clears throat> we are to continue to pass on God's word. This is what happens when we fail. Paul gave similar instructions to Timothy in the New Testament. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here again, New Testament, we have Paul talking to Timothy. Now, Paul was an apostle. Timothy was a elder or a pastor. And so Paul is teaching Timothy and he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. What you have heard from me, I want you to pass on to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How many generations of, of, do we see in that sentence? <laughs> Four. Me, Paul, you, Timothy, pass on to faithful men, three, who will be able to teach others also, four. We see this process that Paul understood, clearly understood, that, that everyone has always clearly understood, and every one of us would sit here and say, I agree. The importance that we must take our faith and we must pass it on to the next generation in such a way that they are able to embrace it, grab a hold of it, believe it, know it, trust it, and live it. And do it in such a way that they then will do the same and pass on to the next who will then turn around and pass on to the next who will then turn around and pass on to the next. And the fact that we are here in the year 2020, it's just weird just saying that. We are here in the year 2020 in Yatesville, Georgia, who I promise you, Paul, Peter, they, they never, Yatesville never crossed their mind, okay? For good reason. But we are across a huge ocean that also never crossed their mind that they could cross. We are on the opposite side of the planet, 2,000 years removed, and we have the same faith. We are saved by the same faith. We have embraced the same faith, and we live the same faith. Why? Because for 2,000 years, not unhindered, well, I'm not going to say unhindered, but non-stopped, not hindered from God's perspective. For 2,000 years, we have, pe- have had generation pass on to generation pass on to generation, pass on to generation, and just keep on passing on until here. And sad reality is there are, I don't know the numbers, but there are thousands of churches that close their doors all the time, right now. We must continue to pass on 
our faith to the next generation. We must. It's not an option. That is the only way we will continue to fulfill the great commandment. That's the only way we will continue to do what God has called us to do and see people come into faith and spend eternity with God like us. These are very similar instructions to what Jesus himself told us. He said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, said, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus himself said, I want you to go out. I want you to pass on this to other people who will embrace the faith and then you will baptize them. And once you baptize them, I want you to teach them my words. I want you to teach them my commands. I want you to teach them my word. And then they are to do the same thing over and over and over and over. We must pass our love for God on to the next generation. Not just our allegiance to God, not just our obedience to God, but we have to pass on what God has said is most important. And our most important thing is our love for God. Because our love for God drives all the other things that must be done. Our love for God drives our obedience for God. Our love for God causes us to take risks and to go out and to put ourselves in situation, dangerous situations to see the, the coming of the kingdom of Christ. We must pass on our genuine love for God to the next generation. And we cannot afford to fumble the handoff. I've mentioned Robbie Gallaty before. He's the pastor um, at Long Hollow Baptist Church right now who has started replicating ministries. And, and, and he's the one that I've uh, kind of grabbed his material to do um, discipleship with here at the church. Um, it's work through the Bible. It's a reading plan. Matter of fact, the reading plan's in your bulletin. I don't know if y'all noticed that. I've been putting it in your bulletin every week. Um, but I went to a, a conference this past year, and in that conference, um, he, he gave us something. And this is what he gave us. A baton. A baton. He said a pastor that he really respected and admired gave him a baton, and he has it sitting on his desk. And it's a constant reminder of what it is we're called to do. And so, therefore, now at all his conferences that uh, you can go to and pastors go to, he, he now gives out to all the pastors that come to his conferences batons. But it's a reminder that we have been given something from the past in a long line of succession, and it really goes back before Jesus, but we'll just start with Jesus, where Jesus handed off a baton to his disciples. He was raised from the dead, and then after he was raised from the dead, he was on the earth for 40 days, going around and teaching his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And then he said, I'm headed back to the right hand of God, to heaven. And so he handed it off to the apostles. And the apostles were responsible to then turn around and hand it off to the next generation. And we read the first thing they did at Pentecost, and this was 50 days after the resurrection, 
Um, Peter goes out and the apostles go out and they preach on the streets and they all preach in, in different languages to the, all the people that had gathered for Pentecost. And when they preach, it says 3,000 people were saved that day. And they were all baptized. And then they come together in fellowship. And many of them went home to, the, to where they had come from for Pentecost. And so we see them passing it on. And it is up to us as members of the body of Christ to do the same thing, to make sure that we are passing on the baton to the next generation. So I'm going to ask the youth if they would come up here, anyone that wants to, and show you symbolically this is what we're to do. Thank y'all for being so cooperative. This is our next generation right here. And I'm not going to lie, I'm young enough to be the next generation to a lot of folks in here, but we're not going to get in that because I'll get in trouble and I'll have a foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> but this is our next generation. And it is up to us to always make sure that our love for God, that's what this baton is, our love for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our love for our neighbors as ourselves, that we are doing everything we can to pass that off to the next generation. So I'm passing this off to you, Josie. <laughs> I'm actually passing it off to all of y'all. So here you go. Here's all, all y'all can uh, have this baton. I'm so glad you took this baton. I am so glad that all of y'all were willing to come up here and take this handoff of this baton. Thank y'all. All right, now take the baton with y'all and head on back. No, you go ahead. Take the baton with y'all, and y'all head on back to the to seats. Thank y'all. Thank y'all for coming up here. He won't let go. <laughs> Do y'all y'all st you see the problem here? <laughs> no, I, I I told him I wasn't going to give it to him. Now they they are strong enough to get it from me. I can tell you that. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. But you see, you, see, you see the problem? It's not enough to say it with our mouth. It's not enough to say it with our words that we are here and we exist to pass off the baton to the next generation if we don't actually do it. See, that's the problem with all of us. And I'm going to say all of us because it is instinctive, it is nature it is all of, there are some special few, I will say that. I have met some special few that this probably does not apply to. But all of us live with a sinful body, okay? We all have to fight the flesh for the rest of our life. It says that the flesh wages war against the spirit. And as long as we're on this earth, our spirit wages war against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. And our flesh, when it has a hold of whatever it is, control, power, whatever the case may be. Even we as Christians, even in the church, when we're in control of this baton, we don't want to let go. We don't want to pass off ministry to somebody else. Because when we pass off ministry, that signifies us letting go of how it's done. And none of us by nature want to do that. But we have to fight against our nature. We have to fight against our instincts. We must understand the goal. We must understand why we exist. 
We must always be a church that knows what our purpose and goal is. And our goal on the front of your bulletin, our purpose on the front of your bulletin is to love God, to love others, and make disciples. To invest our love for God into the next generation so that they can turn around and do the same thing. I want to finish with one more verse. The reason there is a next generation, and I know you've probably not even thought about this. The reason there is a next generation is because Jesus has not come back yet. The purpose is this. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord does not delay his promise. What promise? The promise of him coming back putting an end to all sin, putting an end to the world as we know it, and then recreating the heavens and the earth and starting over. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The reason Jesus has not come back yet the reason there is a next generation that we must pour our, our, ourselves into and hand the baton off to, the reason that time is still progressing on this earth is because there are people on this earth that God still desires to spend eternity with. And there are people, if he doesn't come back today and if he doesn't come back next year, there are more people that he is going to create with that same desire. He's still going to continue to make souls and continue to put people on this earth for the purpose of spending eternity with them. And so he gives us that choice. We must all make that choice. Are we going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are we going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Because we don't know how long we have. And yes, he's waited 2,000 years to come back, but it doesn't mean he won't come back today. It doesn't mean he won't come back tomorrow, but, it, but if he doesn't, we know why. Because there's still more people that he wants to give an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And so we must be diligent while we're here to diligently pass off the baton to make sure that we are pouring our love for God into others so that they can then see the beauty of God and see how that they want to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But all of it is only going to continue to be successful and the way God intended it and desires it to be if we don't fumble the handoff. If you have not made that decision in your own heart to follow God, to obey God, to love God, to give yourself completely to him, today is that day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make yourself reconciled with God, to say to God, I know I've sinned, I know I'm separated from you, but you have made it clear throughout your scripture that you don't want me to be separated from you, that you want me to repent, and you do not want me to perish. That is your heart, and that's what I want. And so, God, please forgive me. God, please wipe away my sins, and God, please give me an eternity with you. That's what he wants.
He wants a family. He wants a family made up of people who love him. He already loves you. But he's not going to force you. He's not going to make you. He's going to give you that choice. And he is a good, good God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Father, we thank you that you've given us that opportunity to be forgiven, to be reconciled to you, to be adopted as your sons and daughters, to spend eternity with you as our Father in heaven. And then when you make all things right and make a new earth, you said that the holy city of Jerusalem will come down to the new earth and we'll spend eternity on a new earth with you. And so, Father, we, we thank you. Father, we thank you for giving us that opportunity. And Father, we want that. We want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't matter who, who, it doesn't matter if we've been uh, made a commitment to follow you years gone by or whether or not we're just making it today in this moment right now. Father, we want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Father, we need you to help us do that. We need you to, to draw us close and show us your love for us because it's your love for us that causes us to be able to love others. We love because God first loved us. It was your love for us that causes our love to grow. When we read about what you've done for us, when we read about what you have done in this, you've told us in the scriptures of how you left your throne, came to earth, put on human flesh, lived as a man, lived a perfect life, and then died at our hands and were crucified, all because of your love for us. Your love is so great and so amazing. And so, Father, we can never, ever, ever thank you enough for your love. Father, I pray if there is anyone in this room that has not 100% sure in their heart that they have made a decision to love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors themselves, Father, if they want to be adopted as your child but, but don't know if they are, Father, I pray that no one would leave this place today without trying to make sure that they know that they are reconciled to you, that they are forgiven, they have been adopted, and they are loved by you and will be loved by you forever for all of eternity. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, help us pass on the baton to the next generation. Help us be the church you designed us to be. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.